You heard me say last week that Jesus is the God-man. You heard me say that he is 100% God and 100% man. You also heard me say that it is not enough to say that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. You also heard me say that in the same breath and in the same sentence... We must also say that those two natures, God and man, are united in one person. So biblical and historical Christology affirms that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he is 100% God and 100% man, and that those two natures are united in one person. But you also heard me talk last week about Jesus' divine nature and his human nature. When we talk about Jesus being God, having a divine nature, and when we talk about Jesus being a human being, having a human nature, sometimes when we talk about it, it may sound like that we are dividing those two natures. Whenever we say that Jesus was limited in his human nature, we are not saying that his human nature was separate in any way from his divine nature. But the reality is that we have to talk about each nature in order to understand the God-man. But please don't think that we are dividing those two natures as we talk about each one. As we divide them, if you will, to talk about them and explain them. We're not dividing them, but we have to talk about each individual nature. When we talk about both of his natures, don't think that we are dividing Jesus up into two parts. Those two natures are united and joined together in the person of Jesus forever. Both of his two natures, God and man, are united in one person. If we try and divide them or separate them, then we are in danger of falling into some Christological heresy that the church throughout history has faced. And we looked at that earlier this year in our series on the Trinity. You can go listen to that if you'd like to find out how the church wrestled with this and the creeds that were written to address these issues. Here's our big idea today. Picture Jesus increasing in wisdom. When you picture Jesus in your mind, when you picture him growing up, picture him increasing in wisdom. When you picture Jesus, don't picture him as a toddler beating you at Bible trivia Unless your Bible knowledge stinks, then maybe that would happen. Don't picture Jesus completing all of the Awana books by age six. Instead, picture Jesus increasing in wisdom. Picture Jesus learning truths from the Old Testament scriptures as he grew up. Don't picture him earning a PhD in the Old Testament by age eight. Picture the human nature of Jesus learning and growing, but picture also that same human nature united at the same time that it's learning and growing, united to his divine nature that he was God, his divine nature which knows all things. So picture Jesus learning and growing in his human nature as a human being, but knowing everything as God, and picture those two things united together in one person, and then let that picture hurt your brain as you think about it as you marvel at him, but then let it cause you to worship. As we look at God's word today, marvel at the humility of Jesus. 
Marvel at the humility expressed by, by a preteen whose body was beginning to experience change and whose face was most likely covered with a few pimples. You probably think that an awkward teenager with acne couldn't cause you to worship. But one can. So let's look at God's word so that you will be humbled to worship the Son of God anew. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 40. Hear the word of the Lord. And when Jesus' parents had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And Jesus the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. We're picking up Luke's narrative after the birth of Jesus, after his parents had taken him to the temple to dedicate him according to the Old Testament laws that commanded them to do so. So Afterward, Joseph and Mary returned to their hometown of Nazareth. And then Luke tells us about the first 12 years of Jesus' life with these words. He just says, And the child, speaking of Jesus, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That's all that Luke gives us of the first 12 years of Jesus' life. We know nothing about him wanting to nurse his mommy. We don't know anything about Jesus running around in his diapers with a pacifier hanging out of the side of his mouth. We don't know if Jesus had a favorite book that he liked his mommy and daddy to read to him. We don't know if he had a favorite toy that he played with or if he had a binky, his favorite little blanket that he liked to snuggle with. We simply don't know what he was like from birth to age 12. All that Luke tells us is that he grew, he got stronger, he was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was upon him. In fact, this section in Luke 2 is the only incident we have of Jesus' childhood. It's far from boring, though. The only story we have of Jesus from his childhood besides when they traveled down to Egypt, involves a giant church celebration that involved lots of food and music, and it almost ended with his parents filing a missing persons report. The only incident we have of Jesus' childhood was the time he went missing and almost ended up having his picture put on a milk carton, all because he was playing Bible trivia with some seminary professors. The one picture we have of the first 12, of Je- first 12 years of Jesus' life is far from boring. Look at verses 41 to 52 now. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey... But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And Jesus went down with him and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So when Jesus is 12 years old, he travels with his parents to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. We don't have any details about their trip, where they stayed, who they were with, what they did. The only information that we get on this celebration is what happened after the celebration. Jesus' family apparently traveled in this great horde of friends and family as they traveled up to Jerusalem. And after the celebration, Mary and Joseph just assumed that Jesus was with that great big group of friends as they were traveling back. It's kind of like tonight, if you come back for the baptisms that we're going to have and voting on the elders and committee members, board members, budget, and then we go eat chili in the gym. Most of you parents are just going to let your kids run around. I am too. And we're just going to assume that they're safe on the playground out there. That's kind of the situation that's happening here with Jesus' parents. They're not bad parents. They're just assuming that Jesus is in the crowd with everyone else. But they don't discover that Jesus is missing until one day later. So they head back to Jerusalem and it takes them three more days to find him. So at this point, Jesus has been missing for four days. This is a parent's worst nightmare. Maybe Joseph and Mary went to the temple to pray, to ask the Lord to intervene, to help them to find their son. Maybe they thought Jesus would be there. We don't know. But we do know that they found him. And when they found him, he was just having some theological Q&A with some of the leading teachers of the day. No big deal. Just a 12-year-old boy from Podunk town of Nazareth talking with the leading scholars of the day. Look at verse 46 and 47. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding. And his answers. If your kid goes missing, isn't this how you want to find him? Wouldn't you want to find them at church talking theology with the pastors? Wouldn't you be proud to hear the pastors say, I was just talking with your son. He knows a lot about the hypostatic union. And he knows the difference between superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism. Go look those up, I dare you. But is this how Jesus' parents react? No. Look at verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. The reality is that Mary and Joseph reacted the way parents should act in this situation. They weren't impressed with Jesus' Bible knowledge at this point. Later on, verse 51 says that Mary treasured this moment up in her heart. Later, Mary would recollect that Jesus was engaging in theological discussion as a 12-year-old boy with some of the leading scholars. But at this point, Mary and Joseph just wanted to know that their little boy was okay. They were astonished, not at his knowledge and interaction, I think, with the scholars. They were astonished that he was alive after four days. The teachers were amazed at his understanding. And the kinds of questions that he asked. But his parents were astonished that he was alive. In fact, Mary says that they had been in great distress. And so how does the pimple-faced son of God respond to his 
mother. Look at verses 49 to 50. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Think about this. This is the first recorded sentence that we have of Jesus in the Bible. And what he says gives us a clue as to what dominated his heart and mind as a 12-year-old boy. Jesus is essentially saying, I'm here to learn more from the scriptures, from these teachers, so that I can be prepared to fulfill my father's mission. It's amazing. It's remarkable that at this point in his life, Jesus says, I need to know more of God's word because I know why I'm here and I need to be prepared to fulfill my father's mission of giving my life for our elect people. It's amazing. Now, Joseph and Mary did not grasp how remarkable Jesus' response was, but Jesus did. It is clear then that the preteen pimple-faced Jesus at this point in his life knew that his true father was not Joseph but his father in heaven. At this point in his life, Jesus knew that he was on a mission to do what his father had sent him to do. Here in the temple, what seems like a simple Bible trivia game is actually a part of what is preparing Jesus to go to the cross to suffer and to die. These conversations with the teachers of the law were a part of Jesus growing in wisdom and in understanding. These conversations in the temple should astonish us just like it did the teachers of the law. These temple conversations about the Old Testament that Jesus was having with the teachers of the law should cause us to picture Jesus increasing in wisdom. The teachers of the law were amazed that the 12-year-old boy knew all that he knew, knew all that he knew. So in order to be able to picture Jesus increasing in wisdom, we need to ask ourselves a question. What accounted for the remarkable questions and answers that Jesus came up with in the temple? What accounted for the remarkable questions and answers that Jesus came up with in the temple as he was talking with the teachers of the law. How did he have so much wisdom and so much insight at age 12? Well, the typical evangelical response to that question would probably be that it was because Jesus was God that he knew all the answers. That's why he was able to engage with these teachers of the law, because he was God. We may be tempted to say that the God part of Jesus... His divine nature supplied him with the answers. We may be tempted to think that his divine nature enabled his human nature to dominate at Bible trivia. But is this what Luke wants us to believe? As we saw last week, Scripture puts the emphasis on the humanity of Jesus in his day-to-day activities. I think Luke wants us to see that Jesus grew As a human being. I think Luke wants us to see that Jesus. Like all human beings. 
grow and increase in knowledge as time goes by. That's why Luke gives us the two bookends of this temple story in verses 40 and 52. Verse 40 says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Verses 40 and 52 speak of Jesus becoming strong in his body and increasing in stature. Luke is not saying that the divine nature of Jesus grew. Luke's not saying that the God part of Jesus grew. Luke is saying that Jesus was growing up in his body and in his mind. Luke is saying that Jesus was a growing boy. That means Jesus ate like a normal teenager. That means that Jesus would eat pizza for dinner, and then two hours later he would be hungry again and eat a whole bag of chips, and then two hours later again he would eat a bowl of cereal before he went to bed. I have no experience in this area whatsoever. This means that perhaps Jesus started growing armpit hair. And maybe his voice was starting to change. And maybe he had a little peach fuzz mustache coming in. And maybe he had a pimple sticking out between some of that peach fuzz mustache. Luke's point here is that Jesus was growing and maturing and increasing in knowledge as he was growing physically as a young boy. Luke is not saying that Jesus was increasing and growing in his divine nature because Jesus was fully God, right? He's 100% God. His knowledge as God was complete. He lacked nothing as God. He was the omniscient God-man who knew all things and yet was growing in knowledge as a young boy. Jesus' divine nature as God did not enable him to know everything in his human nature. Remember, as I said last week, it wasn't like you could shake Jesus and his divine nature would spill over into his human nature. Both of his natures are united in one person. As a 12-year-old boy, Jesus was omniscient and knew all things, and at the same time, he was growing and increasing in wisdom. That'll make your head explode. If Jesus' parents had the children's catechism book that we use, First Catechism, Teaching Children Bible Truths, then I suppose little Jesus would have learned these questions too. Question one, who made you? Answer, God. Question two, what else did God make? And maybe Jesus would answer the way my young kids have always answered. Answered, God made all things. Question three, why did God make you in all things? Answer, For his own glory. Jesus had to learn biblical truths as he grew up. His divine nature as God did not supply him with knowledge or make up for his lack of wisdom. He had to learn. He had to grow. And in the temple that day, Jesus wasn't debating with the teachers of the law. He wasn't trying to school the teachers. He was learning He was growing, and the teachers were impressed with his questions and answers. And one reason Jesus did grow was because he had God's favor. 
Luke tells us in verses 40 and 52 that the favor of God was upon him and he increased in favor with God and man. What Luke means is that Jesus' growth physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually was the result of the favor that God the Father showed to his son. God's favor was upon Jesus. Therefore, Jesus grew in all of these areas. But what is the substance of this favor? What is the substance of the favor that Jesus had from God? I believe the favor of God was the Holy Spirit. As we saw last week, Jesus was dependent on the Spirit to enable him to fulfill his Father's mission. Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 4 that we looked at last week tells us that the Holy Spirit filled and empowered Jesus. But Luke also tells us earlier in his narrative... That Jesus was filled with the Spirit when the angel appeared to Mary and explained what would happen to her. In fact, Luke says that even John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. Look at Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 35. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary found favor with God meaning the Holy Spirit would come upon her and overshadow her. Jesus, too, had God's favor, meaning the Holy Spirit indwelt him and empowered him even in his mother's womb. Therefore, Jesus grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom because the Holy Spirit was upon him. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man precisely because the Holy Spirit was upon him. As Isaiah 11.2 says that we looked at last week, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Therefore, the picture that we have of a 12-year-old Jesus in the temple talking with the teachers of the law is one of a boy filled with the wisdom provided by the Holy Spirit, wisdom that came through years of catechism, years of reading God's word, years of memorizing God's word, and years of meditation upon God's word. This is how the Holy Spirit worked in Jesus' life. The Holy Spirit illumined the word of God to Jesus' mind and heart as Jesus fed upon the word of God, as Jesus studied the word of God, as Jesus memorized the word of God, as Jesus meditated upon and thought deeply about God's word. And that's the same thing that the Spirit of God does for us when we are in love with God's Word. How could a 12-year-old boy with pimples and a peach fuzz mustache interact with the leading rabbis of his day and impress them with his knowledge? It's because of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 11.3, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
Where did Jesus learn the fear of the Lord? Through the scriptures. It was as his parents catechized him, as they talked about God's word as a family, and as he read and studied and memorized and meditated upon God's word. Jesus delighted in God's word because the spirit was at work in his heart and in his mind. And because the Spirit was at work in Jesus' heart and mind, illumining the Scriptures, then it stands to reason that at some point in time, it dawned on Jesus that the Old Testament spoke of him. Grasp this, Grace. Get your mind around this. There must have been a day a specific time when the Holy Spirit illumined Jesus' mind and he understood that he was the Messiah. Think about that. There must have been a day and a time as he's reading over the scriptures, meditating upon them, memorizing them, talking about them with his parents. There must have been a time, a day, when the Spirit of God illumined the mind of Jesus and he understood I am the Messiah. At some point, as Jesus is reading Isaiah 53, which speaks of the suffering servant, it dawns on Jesus as the Spirit illumines his mind that he is the one that Isaiah is talking about. As Jesus reads Psalm 22, at some point, he begins to understand that the person rejected and forsaken by God in Psalm 22 is speaking about him and his suffering on the cross. As Jesus grows up, the Spirit illumines his mind and he begins to understand from the Old Testament scriptures that he will be rejected and suffer unimaginable pain and agony through crucifixion and that his Father will turn away as he bears the weight of the sins of the world. Imagine Jesus coming to grips with the fact that he would absorb the wrath of a holy God in order to redeem his elect people. Maybe he knew that even as a 12-year-old boy. And maybe that's why he didn't start his ministry till he was 30. Because it would take many more years for that truth to sink in, for him to be prepared to give his life. How amazing. Jesus was just like us. In his humanity, he had to learn and grow. He had to rely on the Holy Spirit to illumine his mind. As he poured over Old Testament texts, the Holy Spirit gave Jesus insight and understanding into the meaning of those texts. So perhaps this is why Jesus did not start his public ministry until he was 30 years old. He spends 30 years studying the scriptures and coming to grips with what he must do because he would not have been ready as a 12-year-old boy. As Bruce Ware says, for three decades the Spirit worked within Jesus, instructing him and bringing him yet greater and greater insight until finally the day came when he was ready to face the devil, the Pharisees, the demons, and his disciples, all with the word of God deeply enmeshed in his soul. Picture Jesus increasing in wisdom. What are some applications for us? Don't miss the connection between the word of God and the spirit of God. 
don't miss the connection between the word of God and the spirit of God. The spirit was the one who gave Jesus insight, illumined his mind to understand scripture and to understand his calling as the Messiah. And that happened as he grew and exposed himself to God's word so that he would be prepared at age 30 to do what his father had sent him to do. It took years of him absorbing God's word and the spirit working in his heart and mind to prepare him in his physical body, in his physical mind, to be able to do what God the Father had called him to do. We cannot divorce the spirit from the word of God. You need the Holy Spirit. As you hear the word preached, even right now, you need the Holy Spirit as you hear the word preached. You need the Holy Spirit as you read, as you study, as you memorize, and as you meditate on God's word. Puritan John Owen said this, He that would utterly separate the spirit from the word had as good burn his Bible. If you are not dependent on the spirit when you read the Bible, if you think you can make it without the spirit, you might as well burn your Bible because it's not going to do you any good. You need the Spirit of God to work in your mind and heart as you read Scripture. You must be dependent on the Spirit. Don't separate them. Second application, don't neglect the importance of theological discussion. Don't neglect the importance of theological discussion. We see Jesus in Luke 2 engaging in theological discussion with the teachers of the law. We're not sure what they talked about, but we know that it was important enough to Jesus that he stayed behind in Jerusalem to learn from these men. I don't think Jesus came to debate the teachers and to try to show off and put them in their place. I think he came to learn and to share what he understood of the scriptures. I think he genuinely wanted to learn and grow in his understanding of the Old Testament as a 12-year-old boy. I don't think he went to show off. I don't think he went to trap them. I think he went to learn and grow because he knew. I'm called to lay my life down for the elect people, my people. How am I going to do that unless I know God's word and my heart and my mind are prepared for that? Here was an opportunity for Jesus to learn from some of the most learned men of his day. And it was an opportunity for him to shed some light on what he knew of the scriptures. That means he worked hard. He thought about God's word. He read God's word. He studied it. Otherwise, as a 12-year-old boy, he would not be able to astonish these teachers. Don't neglect the importance of theological discussion. We value theology here at Grace. We value doctrine. A lot of people say, I don't want doctrine. I don't want theology. Listen. When you're on your deathbed or your loved one is on your deathbed, you want, you need theology. You need doctrine. You don't need a how-to list, how to be a better husband. It's not going to help you when you're on your deathbed or your loved one is. You need to have a view of God as sovereign and good and in control of everything As the old hymn says, whatever my God ordains is right. You need that view of God. You need theology. You need doctrine. You need your heart and mind rooted in God's word. You don't need a pastor who tells jokes and gives you five points to being a better neighbor. 
you need God in that moment. And that's why we value theology, doctrine here at Grace. And that's why we do things like Grace Seminary. And that's why we have Sunday school classes and small groups. And that's why we have Awana and children's ministry and youth group and various ministries all centered around the word of God. Because we want to learn the word of God in community just like Jesus did as a 12-year-old boy. That's why we come here every Lord's Day to hear the word of God preached. That's why the word of God is taught in classes and in groups here at Grace That's why we learn the word of God in the community, not only here in the church community, but in the community of church history. Those who have walked before us, who have fought theological battles. That's why we learn the word of God with them. We never want to be a church where we just say, it's just me and Jesus and my Bible. Even Jesus didn't do that. He was the son of God. If anyone had a reason to go out in the woods and just read your Bible and not interact with community, it would be Jesus, I guess. But as a human being, he needed community as well. Our tagline here at Grace is this, making disciple, making disciples. That's what we want to be busy about as a church. And that's exactly what was happening here with the give and take between Jesus and the teachers of the law. It was all a part of the preparation process so that Jesus would be ready at age 30 to start his ministry and then three years later to give his life. Third application. This one's going to sting a little bit for all of us. Don't despise submission to authority. Don't despise, don't hate submission to authority. How amazing that Mary and Joseph knew that their son was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And yet basically they said to him, after they found him in the the temple, they basically said, get in the car, son. We're going back to Nazareth. His parents understood their role as parents in leading him, raising him, and teaching him the word of God. There was no, well, what do you want to do, Jesus? You're the Messiah. Do you want to stay here and live in the temple or come home with us? No. I picture Joseph saying, get in the car. We're going home. You've got chores to do. But marvel even more at the humility of Jesus as he submits to his parents. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. At this point in his life, Jesus knows who his real father is, his heavenly father. He knew his identity as the son of God, and yet he would choose to put himself under his parents' authority. I mean, technically speaking, Jesus did create his mom and dad, correct? He made them, he was their creator, and yet he humbles himself and submits to their authority. Why? Because he loved God's word. Because God's word says, children, honor your father and mother. He knew that God's word called for children to obey their parents and to honor them. What amazing humility. A quick word to the kids and the teenagers here. I know it's hard to submit to your mom and dad and obey them. I know when they say go clean your room, everything inside of you says, I don't want to clean my room. Look to Jesus, kids. 
see what humility he shows when he submits to and honors his mom and dad. Jesus honored his mom and dad. He submitted to them. He obeyed them. Kids, you need to underline Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Kids, you need to highlight with a marker Luke chapter 2, verse 51. Kids, you need to write it out on a post-it note, Luke chapter 2, verse 51, and he was submissive to them, and put it up on the mirror so that every time you brush your teeth, you see the words, and he was submissive to them. Kids, you need to get a Bible app, take a picture of this verse, and put it as the lock screen on your iPhone so that every time you slide that little thing to enter your code, you see the words, and he was submissive to them. Oh, that I would have done this as a kid. That somebody would come to me and said, lose the punk attitude and honor your mother and your father because this is what Jesus did. Well, it's not just for you kids. Us adults struggle with this too, right? So you're not alone, kids. It never goes away. The humility that Jesus shows us is remarkable. And it is screaming out to us that submission to authority is not a bad thing. Submission to authority is a good thing. It is a God thing. You are never more like Jesus than when you submit to authority. You are never more like Jesus than when you honor the authority that God has put in your life. You are never more like Jesus than when you willingly submit to the authority that is over your life. Whether it's your boss, your parents, the elders, and the pastors of this church, your homeowners association, the speed limit sign that says 25 and You don't like that? Now I'm stepping on my toes. You're never more like Jesus than when you submit to authority. Think about that. Don't despise it. Don't despise submission to authority. Embrace it the way Jesus did. And while you're embracing that truth, picture Jesus increasing in wisdom. Picture Jesus growing as a young man, learning truths that are preparing him to go to the cross. Picture Jesus increasing in wisdom and then fall on your face and worship him. It might be a good idea to do that now. As we sing the last song, glory in the highest, it might be a good idea for us to get down low, to maybe come down to the front and get on your face, to turn around in the pew and bury your head in the seat or to sit or to stand and raise your hands in adoration, whatever your physical posture is, let the posture of your heart be one of marveling at the God-man Jesus.